Welcome to the Alchemy of Business Show with your host, Steve Rogers. The Alchemy of Business Show is a podcast that mixes practical, actionable business solutions with soulful insights for anyone seeking deeper meaning in their lives and greater success in their work. Steve will be featuring purpose-driven leaders from all walks of life and getting insight into their journeys from failures to triumphs. So tune in to transition, transform, and evolve in every dimension of your business and life. And now your host of the Alchemy of Business show, Steve Rogers. Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening in or viewing in to the Alchemy of Business, where we always are focused on bringing purpose-driven leaders and entrepreneurs to talk more about helping us make wiser decisions, creating more profits and abundance in our life, and also finding higher purpose and meaning in all that we do in the world and around Lee on our daily basis and, and throughout the interactions that we have. And I couldn't think of a better guest to have on this topic specifically on higher meaning and entrepreneurship. Uh, many of us have heard the word entrepreneur, solopreneur, serial entrepreneur, but how many of you are really clear about what a socialpreneur is? Uh, I have a really interesting, uh, from down under, from Australia, a socialpreneur today who is an advocate for collective healing. Talk about a big vision and a big impact of someone who's focused on making collective healing as a global uh, consciousness for all societies. Uh, she's an Australian leading pioneer advocating for social uh, trauma-sensitive change and informed, responsive to unnecessary trauma in the health, education, justice, and government sectors. Uh, she has spoken in companies and in these different se sectors doing workshops and uh, work with leaders on making people aware of what this is and how trauma personally or in cultures can affect us as human beings and spiritual being. She recognizes that the transgenerational, transgenerational, many of us have heard about transgender, but do you understand what transgenerational is and the effect of collective trauma as our, on our current society right now? And it's the leading edge, and she's in the leading edge of healing in this space and in helping people transform and transformation. She has consciously created programs and workshops uh, with her views to help leaders not only look within themselves first, but also within their people and their organizations collectively to make impact throughout society. So let's welcome from down under Miss Linda Conyard to our show today, The Alchemy of Business. Hi, Steve. Wonderful to be here. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Well, as we were talking about before we got started, it is the next day there for you and it's it way early in the morning. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm easily into the middle of my day already and you're almost like 4.30 or 5 a.m. Yeah. the next day, right? That's it. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned that you were getting up with the animals. So tell everyone where you're at, where you live and what your environment is that you have these animals around you. So I live in a rural community. It's about an hour northwest of Brisbane in Queensland, Australia. And yes, we have a lot of uh, wildlife around. We have uh, little wallabies. We have, well, at nighttime, we have uh, interesting little creatures like carpet snakes that we have to rescue for the chickens from. Um, we have we have like massive uh, bird uh colonies around here so we have cockatoos which are loud and they get very screamy in the morning so uh i think we've beat them i don't think your listeners are going to have to listen to the cacophony that we often have in the mornings <laughs> well you are you are in the midst of nature it seems uh so uh, a, a likely place for you to be with the kind of work you do so i'm assuming that with your accent you were born in australia and are yes, you a native to australia yes i am yes <laughs> And were you born and raised and live mostly in the area in which you are now? Well, I, I'm basically here, yes. I, we lived on my grandparents' farm for quite a while, and I think that's really where my affinity with nature and animals came. We've got quite a few rescue animals here, six horses at the moment. Um, so, you know, I just I always surround myself with animals. They, they were a refuge in my childhood. Um, but I did leave when I joined the Air Force when I was about so probably just turned 18. Um, I moved to Sydney and I've been around a few places, lived up in Darwin and Canberra through the Defence Force. But yeah, we've settled here and we like it here. So you've been in the big city enough to know that you'd rather live amongst nature, I take it. <laughs> Spot on. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, you lived enough in the big city to at least find some consciousness about how businesses need to change, how people need to change and what's affecting our planet. So I'm assuming between the farm and the big cities and your travel and the military, um, when did this first sense of, uh, if you grew up on a farm, I'm assuming you had this understanding from a young age about mother nature, universe, animals, about how things are work or how they work naturally. At what age did you start realizing uh, something maybe was uh, traumatic or transitional for you in something that was out of whack or out of harmony where you had used to be or thought harmony would exist? Well, I guess like from the beginning, like I lived in hidden domestic family violence and I didn't really uh, recognize that until I started doing my own trauma recovery work when I was doing my master's degree in gestalt psychotherapy. And because part of that course was you had to do 10 hours of your own personal therapy as part of the pro uh, program. Um, and you had the option of doing 20 in a year, each year. So I did 80 hours over my master's degree of my own personal therapy. And that's where I really dove deep into trauma. And that's where my understandings really came. And it was much later in my life, you know, I was just probably late forties um, when that happened. So, you know, I, my, like, I refuge, my refuge was uh, animals and, and nature. It wasn't necessarily people. My grandmother was a place of uh, safety, I felt. But in my home, it's like there, that was a different story. But it, it was my normal. And I didn't really, even though I knew somewhere in me it wasn't right, it just, it was my normal. And I, and right. I had to, you know, creatively adjust to survive that environment. Um, well, you know, and I think that's a powerful thing that it is a lot of people's normals and they don't realize they're in trauma or abuse emotionally, physically, sexually, or whatever it might be, sometimes till later, later years as they start exploring that there's a whole other world out there. So at what age did you start now that you've reflected back as uh, and you went on to get your master's in, I'm sorry, which segment of the space did you get your master's in? It's Gestalt, G-E-S-T-A-L-T. Yes. Uh -huh. Yeah. And what made you get your master's in that specific, that's very specific and that, and that field that you're in. So what made you go that route? I, I'm going to come back to my question that I had before that, but I'm just curious about Gestalt because not a lot of people have master's degrees in that specific niche. Yeah, it was funny for years. I'd been, I knew that I would fit mainstream psychology. I've never been mainstream anything really. It's never been, um, yeah, how I've fitted in the world. Um, I made myself wrong about that for a long time until I accepted that that's exactly who I was and that's exactly perfect. And you, um, you found your power and uniqueness in that, right? <laughs> that's right. Sometimes that takes <laughs> us a while, but Took go ahead. While, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, so, and I was looking at um, holistic counselling and I'd, I'd look at the course probably every year for about four or five years and go, no, that's not it. And I'm sure you understand this, Steve, but you know those nudges you get, those spiritual nudges, like my life has yeah. been lived like that. I follow them implicitly always have and it was one of those that actually um uh got me to that place i was actually um working with uh, an organization that um was a home-based palliative care service that was another place that i was directed to end of life care and studying that and working in that field as a volunteer anyway we went on a, a spiritual care with a dying uh retreat and there was a buddhist nun there who was doing this process which was happened to be that empty chair work and it just I was watching it just had this whole momentum of itself where people wanted to dive in and do this process I was fascinated anyway when I went back to this organization I was talking to my friend going wow this was amazing you know I couldn't believe what was going on anyway she goes that sounds like gestalt and going oh what's that so we looked it up and that night there was a open night for um people to come and explore it so I rang up and said is it still on yes are there spaces yes Two of us are coming and then I just, as soon as I sat in one of the beanbags and I thought, I'm here for four years, I have no idea how it's going to happen. But it was like I didn't even know if I'd be able to do it because I hadn't really done anything super academic in the, you know, like that before. So that's how I got to Gestalt. <laughs> wow. And Gestalt, uh, I know a little bit about it, but not a lot. So for those of us that are in the novice stage of this, can you just give us a little description as to where that originated and who founded that uh, that practice? Um, and why it was so different for you that when you sat on the beanbag, that type of therapy being or being taught as a, psych, a psychotherapist and an understanding psyches and souls. Um, so if we understand what it is, and then again, beside the beanbag and being invited to the serendipitous that it happened to be that night, what else resonated with you on that? Look, it, it's like, you know, when you get those inner knowings, like I didn't know all of it, I didn't understand it, I just knew it was the right place. So there's something that tells me inside this yeah. inner 
um, wisdom that I'm, I've been really deeply connected to all my life, but I didn't really recognize it. Um, you know, it was it was just that. And Fritz Perls is the person that started, and there were a couple of other people, just can't remember their names right now at the, off the top of my head. Um, he was he was a very interesting fellow. <laughs> and um, his wife, uh, Laura, she was the one that I, I believe brought more of the uh, relational side to Gestalt. But I think Fritz was very clever at um, sensing people and sensing what was uh, happening for them very quickly. And then I think Gestalt got a little bit of a, a tricky name as people tried to uh, copy him, but they didn't have the sense that he had. So what he could sort of get away with, other people sort of made it a little bit uh, not so good. But, yeah, it's a, it's amazing as far as um, being relational, being very experimental, um, uh, the phenomenology, like working with phenomenology, so looking at what you see in the other and then, you know, you may choose to feed it back or you just hold that as, you know, there might be something there later on. Um, I don't know. It was just that that knowing of I was in the right spot. That was the main thing that drew me there. And I knew, yep, this is for me. This is for you. Well, I knew yeah. that it had a lot of experiential processes and they use like micro mini processes once you're in that process. And, and basically, it's really a way to tap into the human soul and human psyche in a process that resonated with you. So then you went on to get your master's degree. Did you did you then become a, uh, a, a non-traditional, traditional therapist in <laughs> creating a practice of helping people through their uh, own traumas? Is that what led after the education became? Yeah. Absolutely. And alongside my master's, uh, I don't even know how I did it when I look back, but I was always studying something else alongside my master's. Mm -hmm. And um, I studied um, uh, family constellation work. So that's where that systemic and that transgenerational and the generational interest came. Mm -hmm. And I started doing my own work in that field. And that's a whole other level of, of interest. Um, and I did trauma, uh, trauma release exercises and other things along the side of my master's degree. But I just had a fascination with trauma as I, as I was unraveling my own and starting to understand. And like it was that understanding of um, how trauma impacts that just opened up my whole world and went, oh, we don't have to suffer needlessly through trauma. And, you know, like you said earlier, you mentioned about um, people don't know. It's so true. They don't know about trauma. And it's like, if it's not a big deal, then people tend to compare and minimize their experience when their experience is actually impacting their life. Yeah, that's powerful. Well, you have so many different words that open up so many doors and windows to thought, like, what does that mean? Like even the word transgenerational, uh, and this word that you just said, family constellation, uh, and we have about five or six minutes left in the segment. So I'm going to dig on this a little bit. And I want to come back to the break and talk more about this. But when we we have trauma that we suffer through needlessly, and you said that this experiential gestalt therapy that you went through, that's when you came to the first realization that, oh, wow, light bulb. I also had some trauma, too, uh, <laughs> even though I was on the farm or, you know, that seemed like part of my daily practice, as we all do. I came up from a family of five boys and my dad was a military man. And, you know, we were, he was very disciplinarian and very heavy handed. And this is my house and these are my rules. And if you don't like it, you know, uh, and belts and sticks were very common in bringing up kids at that time. But we didn't know any better. We didn't know that your parents weren't supposed to beat you or hit you. Um, yeah. You know, we didn't, you know, the neighbor boys also, some of them were having it as well. So when you get up, you know, growing up, to, you know, and, and I don't think my parents also who were brought, my dad specifically came from a family of 14 transgenerational his father his father before him part of the disciplinary action that we now as human beings in more enlightened life look at as trauma is how parents at the time many of them thought parenting was a part of what they did uh, yeah. is that an accurate statement i would agree with you yes and there's if people wanted to google still-faced experiment it was an experiment done in the 60s i think it was and it's a child about 18 months old and a mother and they're face to face and they're engaging smiling there's all of these interactions right and the child's very engaged smiling squealing pointing and um she turns away after a while and when she comes back she has a still face so no emotion no nothing at all is shown and it doesn't take very long before the child starts to become um you know, distressed and starts crying squealing trying to get the mother's attention and then at some point she engages again and then the repair happens so the interesting thing i th find in that experiment is that it, it it's the repair that matters so we're going to have these 
uh, things that come up for us that that are distressing or could be traumatic. So if you've got an avoidant and um, absent parent the whole way along, that becomes a, a trauma for a child because it, you have to creatively adapt to be able to get your needs met as as a child. So I found that it's a little bit difficult to watch, but it's it's very interesting. And it's not for people to beat themselves up. I don't want them to watch for that. <laughs> right, right. Understood. <laughs> well, it's amazing how you know, when you start doing the work of self-exploration, whether it's through uh, counseling, therapy, uh, self-inventory, if people go through AA, when you start doing inventory of yourself, it can be very painful and traumatic. And we do sometimes beat ourselves up until we get to this point that you call repair, mm -hmm. overcoming these distressing traumas and situations. And we only have about three or four minutes left in this segment, but I, I, I want to obviously continue on these topics. And obviously, this is the alchemy of business show. And people are wondering, hmm, why are you having Linda on in this topic? Well, I found it fascinating that this topic is at the core level of human condition and all human beings are in businesses uh, or entrepreneurs or teachers or in government. And our companies that we run or that other people that might be listening to, whether they're an employee, a manager, an executive, an entrepreneur, an educator, we are surrounded by other people who, yes, on a daily basis, they may look fine on the outside, but everyone on the planet, in my view that I've seen, is carrying some form of trauma at some level. They may have yeah. processed it at different levels. They may still be in the midst of it. They may be in denial over it. They may still be going through it. So mm -hmm. to me, this was a very relevant topic to have on, to learn more about in our future segments we're going to come back on after the break, talking how you take this knowledge and information and open it up to leaders to help their people connect and then tie it into a business setting. So um, this trauma awareness um, uh, for you, after you went and found at your own level of trauma, did someone help you come through your own processing of your own trauma when you identified it? Or did your work that you had done in getting your master's and your own experiential things, you use that as the Petri dish as an example of your own pain when you had to do these exercises as you were getting your master's? absolutely used my my degree and every aspect i used it fully to do my own healing for those full four years absolutely challenged myself to the nth degree and i also had therapists that supported me and what i believe to be true is that you know we can do our own work but we just don't know what's out of our awareness it's like we don't know what we don't know so having someone who's skilled in that area can sort of notice things that um we just habitually do because you know that neural pathway is already formed in our brain we've creatively adapted through to survive whatever we had to survive so we just operate like that in the world and you know it might not be um great it might be a little bit dysfunctional but it's what we know and it's no it's how we know to be in it so if you're going to someone who's skilled in the area then they're able to see probably patterns that you're not aware of and mm. they can just help you to identify and give you tools to be able to work with whatever is there for you that you'd like to resolve. Now, as we come to the break, can you remind everybody, I was uh, explaining it at the, and I've written down so many notes already, I keep I keep trying not to be rude and not look at the screen for those that are viewing this on YouTube or E360 TV. If you're on audio, you don't care if I'm looking down, but I'm so <laughs> enamored that I'm making these notes. But we were talking about in your bio about this transgenerational uh, trauma and transgenerational. What, what's the phrase that you use in that in that um, concept when you do your work? Yes, yeah, it's, it's transgenerational trauma. That's and collective in the collective field. Collective so field. Yeah. So Can you give people you know, a definition of that before we go to the break, and then we're going to come back and talk about that specifically. So, what does that mean exactly? So, like in our lives, we have traumas that we um, experience transgenerationally backwards we have those as well and then we have the societal ones like if and we can talk about that when we come back um about what happens here in in australia and as as an example but it's like when there's uh something that happens then there's no resources to be able to resolve it then that it's like the epigenetics it's passed down through the generations so like asthma might be in the field passed down through the family so can the wounds of the soul and wounds of trauma can also be passed down through the family system. Wonderful. Well, thank you for that explanation. We're going to come back and, and dig uh, deeper on that. So for those that are listening in, I hope you will come back because my guess is if you're listening or viewing this, you, a family member or someone that you love or know has had or is having some kind of trauma. And there is this thing that we look at societally that sometimes we realize this is isolated to just our families. But as Linda so eloquently brings up, this is a generational, historic human condition that goes from generation to generation. 
uh, whether it's racism, whether it's slavery, whether it's sexual abuse, whatever it might be, this is stuff that does go from, I mean, we know about ancestry.com where people get their DNA charts done and they look at what their DNA chart is. Well, in that DNA chart, if we could, you know, do a DNA on our soul and our history of our families of the trauma they've existed and put that down in some kind of a chart or paper and make that part of the DNA chart. Wow. How, how and my guess is you have thought about that or talked about it in your workshops, I would guess. So we'll come back from the break of the alchemy of business here and talk more about getting through our trauma and then getting to triumph. I mean, one of the things Linda does really well is not only helping people figure out what's the trauma, how do you deal with it, but how do you break through and how do you repair? So if you'd like to repair and get to some great transformation in your life, come back uh, from the break. Thanks for listening in. We'll be right back. Hello, and welcome back to the Alchemy of Business show. We are here having some pretty deep conversations on life, trauma, repair of life trauma, and how does that apply in ourselves as human beings and then potentially in our businesses and our work and who we are and what we do. We have Linda Conyard here from Down Under in Australia, who's a, a therapist and has her master's degree in all kinds of cool things. We were talking about Gestalt uh, before the break. Gestalt or Gestalt? Gestalt, yeah, that's yes. fine. Uh, before the break and how niche that is. But Linda, we were talking about this generational, um, transgenerational, uh, and what we hear a lot about in the world right now, because it's, you know, there's a lot of awareness coming with um, equality with men and women and also gender. And there's a lot of stuff about um, he, him, he, she, um, transgender, uh, and people trying to understand what that is and what that means. And that also has had been generational after generational that people have felt that they're stuck in something either in a body or an identity or awareness that they have not been able to express. And the more and more we come as awareness as human beings, it does freak a lot of people out uh, in a lot of ways. But these words and these new words that are being brought to society to help explain this new expression that people have in this transgender um, world is intriguing to me because it's in a different way in this um, transgenerational trauma world um, you not only talk about, you know, going back from, you know, when people are looking at, Hey, how, why am I like this? Well, I grew up like this as a kid or my mom, my parents or my mom and dad, we don't always go back to our grandparents, our great grandparents, great, 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 great grandparents. But when you look at that, so how did you start taking your practice from individual practice in this, um, becoming a therapist to thinking about this in a global level and this generational and this transgenerational, how did that evolution come? Oh, look, I just saw the need in, in our systems. Like if you think about the health, justice, education, government systems, it's like they don't quite serve the people the way that I imagine that they're meant to when they began. It's like, you know, if you think about the schooling system, often children, they're not encouraged to have a critical thinking mind. It's like sit down, be quiet, learn, da -da 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 -da. Um, you know, it's like, we don't actually encourage that full potential of the human mind from the young age. It's like fitting them into a structure. And I, I myself never fat, fitted into that structure. So I struggled a lot in that system myself. Um, and then, um, you know, if we think about, you know, the justice system, you know, the work that I do with people in domestic family violence, it's like, honestly, I sit there sometimes in the court and I listen and I go, how can that happen? It's so obvious that the decision that's being made is not correct. It's, it's, it, I mean, you have to see it and be in it to believe it, honestly, because otherwise you, you know, a lot of people have that, that thinking that you get justice in the justice system. And it's not true. I've seen it many, many times where that's just not the truth. So, you know, there's these kind of things that happen in our society and these systems that we've created that don't serve the way they're meant to serve. And that's where I sort of started to think there's something not right here. It's just not, you know, what, and I started to ask different questions like what does that do? And, and the systemic work asks different questions. So instead of seeing like domestic family violence, and I'm not minimising it in any shape or form, but instead of seeing that as like um, the problem, which it is a problem, it's like what does that do for this collective field is a question that I ask. What does that uh, show us in a collective field? So we ask different questions. If we keep doing the same thing, like so much money is thrown at this and many other uh, societal issues 
and people keep creating these organizations to try and resolve the problem. But in the stats, what's happening, it's increasing. The intensity of violence is increasing. So it's like there's something not working, but we keep using the same thinking to create the issues. So we need to start to ask distinct, different questions, look systemically, like what is that serving is, as a collective field? And then we might have some different answers come to us and different insights. Yeah, that's powerful. Well, one of the quotes that you have here on one of the slides we have, I think slide five, is that you say awareness is key to the sustainability of any healing or change we engage in. Uh, yeah. And so in that 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 quote, the sometimes these structures, the court systems, governments, police uh, systems, uh, educational systems, parents um, don't want to become aware. So that sometimes is a problem. And sometimes when they become aware, they're not willing to do what it might take to change it because they're so stuck in it. I think of some of the stuff that just happened in the last month here in the United States with all of these gun mm. shootings in mm. the school systems. Uh, and how many times do we have to have you know mm. kids killed in school systems that are generationally being protected because of our second amendment right in the United States. I'm all fine for people having the right to bear arms, but they're, they're, some of the generational of my grandparents, my parents, my founding fathers wanted to make sure we had the right to bear arms and bail guns. Yeah, but at the time, I don't think they understood that we were gonna have machine guns that an 18 year old could buy to go out and, you know, you have to be 21 years old in the United States to have a drink of alcohol, but somehow you can go out and buy, uh, mm. you know, an atomic, uh, uh, you know, an automatic weapon. Mm. Uh, but mm. that is in a sense generational that continues to create trauma of the consciousness of something that's not willing to change because of what it was. So when you were in the, in the court systems, um, my guess is when you were saying this is so obvious, this should be fair. Um, you in Australia, you have different societal and caste systems, uh, similar but different than the United States. So um, in this uh, trauma based work that you did and understanding this tr transgenerational stuff as to how people view others, how people view someone less than cultures less than what's acceptable, what's not acceptable for this person, acceptable for this other person. Can you explain to people, maybe just give them a little mini history brief session of what are some of the, the cultural, historical, or race divides that, that exist in Australia that might be similar to what we have in the United States? And then we can talk about some of the things that your work does to help bring awareness to that, that might potentially bring up something new for change that hasn't been tried or hasn't been done. So let's talk about what exists and then maybe what some of the solutions might be. So uh, last year, I started an independent research project looking at what it would take to have unity between white Australians and Aboriginal people in this country, because I believe that going back to that place where the white people came here and they took what wasn't theirs has come down transgenerationally in this country if I look at it from a collective field. So if I look at the societal issues and explored them, then it's like, how does that, how does that link to back there and then. And one of the things that, that we found was that um, the white people, and my, my research is definitely about white people, it's not the Indigenous people, I believe that, that that will come together at some point, but the white people need to actually attend to their own lineage and what's unresolved in their own lineage. And that really, I believe, hasn't happened. And that, I believe, also has an impact on the societal issues, which I call a symptom of collective trauma, as, um, as being in the state that they're in. So we can keep doing what we're doing, but unless we take a different view, like that big macro kind of view, we're just going to end up getting the same results and having the same issues. So for me, like that was my exploration um, yeah, at, at that point in time and curiosity about, you know, how does this transgenerational uh unresolved trauma uh, impact us. And I could make a link and it might be a far reach for people, but if I think about what happened, the uh, Indigenous people, the Aboriginal people's families were ripped apart, children taken and stolen. If I look at the family courts, like the, exactly that happens in family courts. You know, children given to people who are abusers, um, you know, mothers uh, having to face their abusers often, um, families ripped apart. It's like, it, it's like, a repeat, just different uh, scenarios, you know? So for me, I can yeah. make those. So your Aboriginal people that were, it's kind of like when you look at you know, the United States, originally we had um, 
uh, Indian, uh, different tribes of Indians that, that had the land and people came yeah. from England and, and uh, started taking different colonies and tried to integrate, but took a lot. And then mm. once they started developing land, they went in uh, in the early days of our founders. And I'm, you know, I'm a white guy. So our white founders went yeah. in and started importing slaves from other countries that were black. And so in our country, uh, probably like in your country, similarities between uh, the Indian culture, the Black American, uh, African American cultures, your Aboriginal people, which were the founding people in Australia, that that conflict still exists at a very high level. Is that correct? Between quote white so. people and between, yeah. the, uh, and even in the Aboriginal culture, there are different tribes and different types of uh, groups of people, even within that uh, societal group. So you have different levels of that as well, right? Different. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Now, in in and what the reason I'm bringing this topic up so much is because all of those people, whether it's in the United States or Australia, or even you know, you look at what's happening with the Asian Asian culture bash right now because of what's happened with COVID, and uh, you know, people are being you know knocked down in streets and blamed for what's happening that this was a China virus or whatever it might be. So this thing about taking trauma or pain. Uh, on people comes from that core belief of fear, basically. I mean, anytime someone's putting it's it's the fear that this person is going to take away something from me or they're going to hurt me. And sometimes that does come from years of trauma that is transgenerational, I would guess, because their parents and their parents' parents believed that that was the belief system that got then downloaded and implemented into the child as they rose up through their upbringing. So how do you help companies when you go in to understand that this does affect the workplace. It's under. It's it's okay to understand this. At okay, I understand how this can affect the families, and we over, need to overcome trauma. And I understand how this can help heal. And I understand how this can help repair. And then, how does somebody listening on the show go? Okay, but how does that help me in my work? And how does that help me in my business? So, um, you know, my instant response to that again is humans are humans, and whether yes. they're at work or home. But how did you to start going? Okay, I've got to take this out of my one-on-one -on -one therapy practice. I want to look at the court systems. I want to look at educational and companies and start talking about this with the leaders who run these companies. So can you talk about maybe a few examples of where you've gone into companies and help implement some of this type of talk, thinking, and then result? Yeah. And when I first started, and, and I want to um, absolutely acknowledge my fellow constellators who have been in the field a lot longer than I have, um, that, um, you know, we go, go in and look at uh, the organization as a system so like the stars are a system a star dies then the whole um that hole has has to be uh, filled in or adjusted to so it has the field has to change herd of horses same thing if there's something that goes out of whack they they adjust and they uh they settle into their new form so you know anything nature's a system so we we have these systems everywhere our family systems organizations a system so we look at it as a system so every it's all um you find different things because there's different people different you know uh, collections in the system but it's like when we when we explore that and and what i found was that if the leaders aren't on board then i'm not just going anywhere near it because it's not about the the employees and and it is about them i don't mean that but it's like they're not the cause if the leader isn't isn't engaged then it, it for me, in my opinion, it just won't work. They have to be on board and they have to see the, the value of it. So we look at it individually and explore what's out of whack in that system. So it might be that they're exploring, they're experiencing um, toxic workplaces. So we look at what does the toxic toxicity in that workplace do for this organisational system? So we're not necessarily making it wrong although it's you know we know it's not okay it's like let's get some different data on this and let's explore what this does for your organization so you know everyone is different and you know I never know what I'm going to find and it's the same in the therapy room I never know what I'm going to find but I know that in that system or in that person they have their own inner wisdom and my job is to facilitate processes to bring that to the fore so people can make a choice about which way they act or it might be that their their bottom line they just can't lift their their ceiling of income it's like okay how does that serve this system how does that serve this organization to keep you not performing the way that you like to perform and then then add in things that might, they might have in their have ideas about what they want to bring in and then we can check and see whether that's work workable in that in that system or not 
it just gives a whole lot of, and it's it sounds a little bit woo-woo but there's a field a, a knowing field that we all are part of that we can have access to just like our ancestors we don't do that in the west we don't um you know acknowledge our ancestors and that it, think about the thousands of people that it takes for us to exist so we have that soul of that system that's available to us if we're able to connect into that soul of the system yeah i love that well you know and to some people this might sound a little woo-woo but i mean to me before science uh proved a lot of things it was woo-woo to people before yes. <clears throat> mathematicians proved a lot of things it was woo-woo to people so yes. until the understanding of this uh sometimes untangible stuff that can't be looked at as as quickly as like a computer program of programming something to come out in uh if you're a programmer or developer that you can create a website and you see the end result this mm -hmm. culture that we have of the things that you're talking about about this uh this organization as a system organizations within families organizations within neighborhoods organizations within companies and this constellation family thing is fascinating to me as well because we all do have to, I mean, as you talk about on uh, some of your, we have some of your slides here from your site, but like on slide, slide six here, if uh, anyone that's viewing this versus listening, there's a slide that Linda has from her site that talks about leadership um, enhancement and personal empowerment. And I think your point before about talking about if it doesn't start at the top, and we've heard this before in other ways and other businesses throughout the years, it all starts at the top. If the yeah. leaders are not willing to buy in or to lead or to carry the vision forward and let the people to buy into it and help do the work that needs to be done, you're right, it's never going to happen. Whether that's in a government, a judicial system, a startup company, an entrepreneurial company, or an established company. And if the leaders are willing to get into personal empowerment for themselves, that then can develop down into personal empowerment for their leaders and their people and their employees to then want to have a healthier work environment that can help with employee retention, leadership retention. It definitely can help with productivity, increasing uh, a happier environment that your people are more engaged. Uh, and some of the ways that you do this in your offerings that you've gone into these individuals or companies is what is it that you do with in leadership enhancement, personal empowerment, and then you have something called collective healing and growth. If you could give, I think we only have a few minutes left in this time, but just give us a little snapshot of what, if someone was partaking in that, what it is you would be doing with an individual or group in that to help start facilitating repair or change. So the first thing is really just to um, just to listen. And when I listen, I listen underneath what people say. Often I don't know how else to explain that. But, you know, someone can be talking, but I'll hear something underneath. So I listen and then I'll I'll hear, I'll listen for patterns and, and um, then offer in like, you know, is this what you're looking for? We just sort of find what it is that they want to work on. What's the intention for the work? Um, and I never know what I'm going to find, like I said, Steve. So it's really hard for me to put it in a structure. And I'm a non-linear girl in a linear world. So <laughs> already it's difficult. <laughs> but um you know, just listening to what, what the words they say gives me a clue into where the work might be. And the same for the, the personal empowerment. It's like I've, I've created a pathway where people can, you know, let trauma be your teacher because if we if everything was great, we wouldn't do anything. So we have these, these situations that actually move us into developing, you know, spiritually, emotionally, intellectually. We have these uh, crises or situations that shove us out of our comfort zone and that's where the growth potential is and it doesn't have to all be doom and gloom often in the therapy room we're we're laughing it sounds a bit odd but you know we're laughing and when people can get an understanding it's a whole different way yes we've got to touch on on places that are not comfortable and same in organizations we've got to touch in places where it's not comfortable but we can also have some lightness around the work that we're doing it doesn't have to all be you know gloom and doom yeah, and then the, um, the healing humanity through truth—that was—that's the process that I was talking about. The um, individual um, or independent um, research project I was talking to you about before, that where I was looking into the gap that's between uh, white Australians and Aboriginal people. Healing humanity through truth. Well, that's powerful. And also the listening to patterns. I think for all of us, as we're building our businesses, as we're working within our families, our relationships, our children, our romantic relationships, listening for patterns and seeing patterns. And my wife says all the time saying, don't, you know, don't listen to what people say, watch what people do. Yeah. Uh, and she, you know, they might continue to say I, this, 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 and this, but their behavior and their pattern is speaking a whole different language. Uh, so we're going to come back and talk about how do you listen more for patterns? How can you use uh, this power of trauma and then leading into truth and healing 
Um, and how can this help you in your own life? Where do you have potentially untapped uh, trauma as a listener or viewer? Where are you potentially holding pain? And we've heard for years, mostly in working out kind of scenarios, but no pain, no gain. You know, and there's some truth in that. Unless you're tearing your muscles when you're working out, they're not getting stronger and growing. And there's a reason for that. And that analogy, I think, goes into our own selves of our emotional being, our intellect and our soul. Sometimes you have to tear things apart for them to strengthen better. And that is sometimes painful. A lot of people don't want to do that. I have found for myself, as I have done that and looked into my own pain and my own traumas, it always gets a breakthrough. There's always a crack that then leads to the light that then leads to the breakthrough. So I know you're wonderful at helping people in that, Linda. So let's come back and talk about creating some more light in the world. That sound good? Sounds great. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, everyone, we will be right back on the Alchemy of Business with Linda from Down Under. Uh, and come back. We've got one segment left, and we're going to be talking about how to really turn this trauma into something that you can transform into strength for you, those around you, and what your vision is for your life and what you are looking to create from now moving forward. Come back and listen in on the Alchemy of Business. Thank you. Hello, and welcome back to the Alchemy of Business show. Whether you are listening in or viewing in or both, I appreciate you coming back. We are talking with Linda Conyard from Down Under, who is a therapist and uh, really someone who's focusing on change for better for the world in a lot of different areas, whether it's in her practice uh, with her patients or with schools or with education systems or companies. And we've been talking a lot about trauma and how do you take trauma and turn it from trauma into repair, and then also being aware and finding truth. So. Um, Linda, this, this thing about, uh, truth, I mean, obviously back, whether you look, you know, you read the Bible or you read the Quran or you read, uh, any kind of spiritual uh, scriptures, truth has been talked about from the beginning of man. And sometimes as society has gotten worse, we've gotten more truthful on stuff of the transparency of social media and awareness. And sometimes it is a way that manipulates truth. Uh, you know, the, this whole thing about uh, fake news and how to manipulate stuff. So in your work, how do you help people become aware and define when they're actually being truthful with themselves or others? How, how do we get people to that place? Because sometimes that's a little gray for some people and for society. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, for me, there's three great disconnects. The disconnect between self, between others and between our environment. If we were deeply connected to ourselves, we would not do to others what we do, and we certainly wouldn't do to the environment what we do to the environment. So for me, the key thing is to connect to yourself. And that's a lot of the work that I do around helping people to understand that inner world that exists. And usually we're just uh, heading through the world subconsciously, not aware of you know, what's available to us. And if I think about it from a trauma perspective, like trauma, uh, it gets stuck in the body. So usually there's a disconnect. People operate from their head often and therefore that the body doesn't become an asset. And we place a lot of um, weight on the mind. If you think about, you know, intellect and how we view that, like our school systems all around that kind of stuff. So it's like the, the mind is really valued. And I remember when I was studying Ayurveda, which is traditional Indian system of health, yeah. Uh, many years ago, my teacher said, um, you know, the mind is a, a, a very good servant, but a very poor master. And mm. I didn't get that at the time. But over the years, I've gone, oh, I can so get that. So if we're not... Say that again for everyone. That's so powerful. Yeah. Say that one more time. So the mind is a very poor... Now I'm going to get it wrong. <laughs> now, the mind is a very poor uh, master, but an excellent servant. So it's around, you know, we, we place all of this, uh, you know, value on the mind when we, if we're connected, the mind, body and spirit, like that's the most important, I believe, connection and balance that we need to focus on as individuals. And then how we are in the world, our whole world and our whole view changes when we're connected like that. And I can say that from someone who has done a lot of um, alcohol in their life, a lot of avoiding in her life and like all sorts of crazy stuff in my life um, to avoid the feeling. So, you know, I, I can get that place and I can also get the place on the other side of that where none of that, I haven't had alcohol for so many years, I don't know. I just, in an instant, I went, I will not touch that again through like a circumstance that I was in and I thought, I'll never do that again. So that there's a shift in me that allowed me to to do that. But it's like, you know, just recognizing what 
what is it inside? What are the reactions that you have to something? And being able to have the tools to work on those and to understand yourself more and more and more. So I think it was the Dalai Lama that said, um, if you don't have compassion for yourself, then you don't have true compassion. So being able to really be wisely selfish, he said, wisely selfish um, and to really understand yourself so then you're a benefit wherever you go because you're not reactionary and you're not operating from your old story. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. Well, the mind is a very poor master but an excellent servant and the Dalai Lama is saying, if you don't have compassion for yourself, then you don't have true compassion. Uh, and then having, what was the next thing you said? Uh, having wise, wise selfishness. Wisely selfish. Wisely I think selfish. Said that as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's powerful. Well, th this thing that we we all do as human beings, um, you know, the 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 way that we as human beings, including myself, deal with the holes in the soul uh, that exist that we all have. Just because of being human, we are not perfect beings. Uh, we are not meant to be perfect. And we have this hole in the soul sometimes of trying to live up to societal visions and pictures of what we're supposed to look like, how much money we're supposed to make, how our relationship is supposed to look, how much money we're supposed to have, what kind of house we're supposed to live in, what our title's supposed to be, uh, what our joy factor is supposed to be. And sometimes when that's not happening and there's this delta between what you thought would be and where your life is, the gap in between that is stress and anxiety and pain. And then that gap is where I realized in my early days, I was filling that also with alcohol. I was one of those functioning alcohol guys that put mm -hmm. on the suit and tie every day, <clears throat> went out with my briefcase, and then I drank like a fish every night. Yep. <laughs> you know, and I also ate food to excess and was very overweight. And um, But I realized becoming aware of that, of using those things that were no longer serving me. For a while, they were great. I loved them. Mm -hmm. They were abundant and joyous and mm -hmm. fun. And but after a while, they become they you, they become your slave your slave to them. You're no longer like you're talking about the master of your mind and those types of things. These things that we use to fill the hole in the soul are a pain. Become or a slave to them. That's what happened with me. And I haven't had a drink of alcohol in 19 years. Uh, and and so for for those that are listening in, where in your own life or your business or in looking in your environment, your employees, your partners your receptionist, your marketing director, looking at where in their lives, not even addressing some of these topics by not even bringing them up of what trauma people might exist in their life, sometimes keep people being very isolated and not being able to express fully. And I'm not saying that, you know, companies should become, uh, you know, psychologist couches per se that people, are, but it is an awareness of bringing education, programs, discussions, mental health discussions to these uh, groups. And um, I also believe as well, as you said, that if we're not connected to ourselves, and then connected to uh, others and then connected to uh, the environment, it's really hard to have compassion or to treat others in the respect we'd want them to, 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 to be respected by. And we are very much attached to our minds. I mean, I'm very much that way, but I've over the years gotten even more tapped into my spirit, my emotion, et cetera. And we hear a lot about intellect. Uh, we started in previous years hearing a lot about EQ, emotional intelligence. Um, and what we, we now hear a lot about artificial intelligence and because it's in all kinds of computer systems and communications. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I like to talk about on the show is spiritual intelligence. And that that is whether it's the animals in the morning getting up as you're out there and they're making their sounds and they know when to get up, they know when to eat, they know when to do their thing. The sun knows when to shine, the rain knows when to come. That is spiritual intelligence at its core form. And as you were saying, these nuggets that we get at the beginning of these nudges that you talked about at the beginning of the show is also tapping into more of that spiritual intelligence from my view. So what is your, you obviously have been a very deep person of understanding nature and overcoming trauma and doing this deep work. How do you define spirituality for yourself and how does that affect uh, your work? So I think it's, yeah, the, the, um, in the in the uh, organizational realm or leadership realm, it's like link um, blending the IQ with the EQ, and then definitely the spiritual, but also the the CISQ, the systemic intelligence, because there's a lot of information there that people can access when they when they know how if they give it a go even. Um, but for me, it's like I've always been spiritual, raised raised Catholic, um, studied Buddhism, studied Hinduism. Um, like studied uh, end of life care, like being fascinated with this this experience of this this spiritual experience. So it's always been part of me as long as I can remember. Um, so you know, and I, and in the um, 
end of life care, the palliative care uh, volunteer work that I did. You know, I've, I've prayed with seven day Adventists. I've sat with people who have no faith. It's irrelevant. You know, if there'll be some connection to something spiritual. It may be nature. It may be the ocean. It may be their dog. It doesn't matter. But there will be some connection that helps them to make meaning of why they're here on the planet. Yes. Well, I agree with that. I, I'm not here to define what anybody's definition of uh, spirituality is, but I am here to have these conversations that you're and I are having. And then what I'm trying to get people to agree or understand or think or admit is that there is some higher source or higher, higher energy than ourselves. All you have to do is realize that we aren't the ones that turn the sun on in the morning and we aren't the ones that make the wind go. So there's something bigger than ourselves. And as long as we realize it's not ourselves, but we are part of that being, I mean, my definition of spirituality is that it's energy. I mean, spirituality is energy and it's the wisest energy that ever exists. And it's the sum of all that is. So mm -hmm. if spiritual energy is in all things, all people, all rocks, all beings, all sound, it, it, that the sum of all that with a collective consciousness, I don't have that as a, a, a person in a white robe on a cloud mm -hmm. somewhere for myself. Mm -hmm. I have it that this spiritual intelligence is collectively trying to work through me, work through mm -hmm. you. And mm -hmm. the only way higher in intelligence and spirituality can come through is through us as beings or animals showing oh, examples right. of how to live. So it, the more we can be aware, as you've talked about this awareness thing or being tapped into the, the family constellation, because that's also part of our family, the way I view it. My family got a lot bigger when I started having this consciousness about the global family. How about you? Yeah, absolutely. I can agree with that. And I have the analogy also around, um, you know, the, the, that we can either be the jellyfish. And I think that's um, more tied in with that egoic kind of sense where, you know, we, we don't have that connection to our will, our soul purpose, all of that sort of stuff. So it, the jellyfish is at the mercy of the ocean. Whatever's happening in the ocean is, you know, what's happening to the jellyfish is flopping around in the ocean. Whereas you have the whale and it very clearly, intrinsically, in its, it follows its own inner knowledge and wisdom, knows when to swim north, knows when to swim south. And whatever the ocean does, it is irrelevant. So for me, that's what we're trying to get within ourselves, that that equilibrium and that, that peace inside, that whatever the world's doing, it doesn't matter. We're still okay, we're still connected and we're able to see even what happens in the world at, at, through different lenses, I believe. I love that. I've never heard the jellyfish and the whale one. I'm going to use that for sure. I made it up. <laughs> well, I love that. I'm going to give you credit for it. So Noelle, let's make sure in our show notes that we give, I, I can't even see a t-shirt like that that says, yes. want to be the jellyfish or the whale? That's it. Linda Conyard right underneath with your quote. I love that analogy of the ocean because most of us can relate to the ocean, even if we're not religious or we're not, quote, spiritual, or we don't think we are. Um, my When people say, well, I'm not really religious, I'm not really spiritual, or I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious, or I'm religious, but I'm only religious in this way, and I'm very, okay, well, that's fine. I mean, you, that's your path. Um, mm. And if people say, well, I'm not religious at all, I'm, I'm atheist, I'm agnostic, I'm all of that stuff, and I don't believe in any of it, uh, I say, well, do you have anyone that you have ever loved? Do you have a child, a mother, a lover, a friend? And they'll usually say yes. And I say, does that feeling when you're in the expression of that love, is it something you can explain very well to others? And they say, well, not in, in detail. And they, and they usually say, no, and I say, that is spirituality. Nice. Very you nice. Know? And that is that is the essence of where that is for me as well. And so I think you did a great job. I love that jellyfish because the jellyfish is in the same ocean. You know, the ocean <laughs> is there and it's and it's succumbing to what's mm. happening in the ocean. And it's still a very vital thing that mm. the universe created because the jellyfish has purpose, but mm. it's not evolved enough yet to be a whale that regardless of what's happening in the ocean, it can maneuver as it needs to by tapping into its instinct. And so yes. for us as human beings, we have that same ability. We have the yeah. ability to co-create in the universe anything that we need, want, or do as long as we believe we are the whale. So yeah, thanks yeah. for reminding me of that. I love that. Now, you obviously have been honored for some of your work and you've done some things. I know you got uh, acknowledged um, to be named as an ambassador of good uh, with global, for, uh, see, of good with global women for good. Uh, yeah. You were an ambassador of that. And, um, and then also the United Nations 17 goals and how are they utilizing them in your work? So how does that all connect? I know there's some of these things that are in a pack. I don't want to end the show because we only have a few minutes here without acknowledging that. And then I know you have a workshop or something coming up as well. So let's talk about this ambassador of good and then um, the United Nations 17 goals. 
Yes, so it's a group of women from around the world that are actually focusing on doing good. And like you talk about that, Steve, and like, you know, inviting good in, like it's 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 becoming more um, overt in the world where people are saying they, they're purposefully saying they want to do good. They're actually connecting with others who want to do good. So it's like a it's like even like a building movement. So um, and same with the UN uh, goals. It's like there's. I'll just do a couple, like reduced inequalities, uh, peace, justice, and strong institutions, uh, quality education, gender equality, these kind of things that the UN uh, uh, have pointed out as their goals. Like as a business, I can align, my, align myself to those. And it's like intentionally, you know, having in my intentional field that, you know, whatever I offer out there has all of this behind it. So it doesn't have to be stated or whatever, but within me, my everything that I do has that intention of being for good, being of service to the others and to to the world. So it's like it becomes part of how you are in your business, how you are as a leader. So for me, that's why I've you know connected with those kind of uh, people that are on on the same path, like want to do the same, want to see change. Like we're sick of seeing people suffering like there's so much so much in the world that there's no need for anyone to suffer or have not enough food or have not enough water like we have everything it's just uh in uh, there's inequality in the the spread of you know the resources i believe yeah so, that's powerful yeah. And that's so true. We all have the power to those that are more abundant than others have the ability to use that abundance and still be abundance to help others. And even if you're not in an abundant level, the, the act of being a servant leader and being of service is something that I found is really what the core of what our essence is as human beings. And we've run out of time here, but I want to make sure there's a for those that are, that are able to see the slides, we're going to have them in the show deck afterwards for you. If you're just on audio, you're not seeing slides. We've been popping them up as Linda's been talking. But um, we, um, she has an event coming up called Let Trauma Be Your, Your Teacher, and I believe that's commencing on, in July. Um, Linda, you want to yeah. talk about that before we wrap up? Yeah, so I'm moving from my one-to-one to one-to-many. -one -one There's been another little nudge in me. I'd be quite happy sitting in my clinic talking to my clients. That would be very comfortable for me. But the nudge is to move out into a bigger space. So this is uh, part of the path to freedom, and it's about let trauma be your teacher. So really understanding that you have a massive opportunity when you look at your trauma to um, really uh, grow yourself on so many levels. And then it moves into like inviting your ancestors in. So it's starting to become aware of the systemic stuff that might be impacting you or how you can use the systemic work to, uh, to give you more insights and information as to what might be blocking you in the world. And then the last one is uh, a three-month more um, uh it's, it's the numbers are capped there. So I only have 12 people in that group and it's more intimate where within the group you can be witnessed and you can actually do your work in a really supportive um, environment. And you learn that you're not on your own because I think trauma happens in isolation and healing happens in connection. So that's the idea that, that flows with um, the, the pathway that I've created here. Yeah. Uh, trauma happens in isolation and healing happens in connection. I love that. Well, we, we've got to wrap up the show. For those of you who are seeing the slides here, uh, we do have one that's a good way to end on. It's got a slide where uh, end is, uh, number 11, 11 here, Noel, uh, 11 slide, which is actually my favorite number, uh, master number 11. Yes. Uh, but for those that are seeing this, Linda is on, on the path to freedom here. Some of the things that, she'll, that you will hear if you check into her site and her work, we're going to have this in the show notes. Uh, but it's obviously six areas of your life where you do self-assessment. She has trauma quizzes, let trauma be your teacher, invite your ancestors in, journey back home, and then actually getting to freedom. And I think that freedom piece that all of us as human beings can relate to. We all want more joy. We want more freedom to be who we are, to create what we want, to manifest uh, the life that we deserve and desire. So uh, I know that, uh, Linda, you definitely have given me a lot to think about and opened up some heart and mind for me in our talks today. And uh, people can reach you on your website, which we have li listed here, lindaconyer.com, uh, through Facebook and through LinkedIn. We'll have those in the show notes. So thank you very, very much for being on the show and for uh, sharing your enlightened wisdom with the group. Uh, any last words before we sign off? Um, I just think uh, to, to give yourself the opportunity to uh, live into your full potential 
whether it's with me or someone else, just to actually take the step to really investigate where your full potential might lie. And I really appreciate the time, Steve. It's been wonderful talking to you and connecting to you. So, um, yeah, just want to say thank you so much. You're welcome. Well, thank you again. And thank you for those that have listened in on the Alchemy of Business show. Uh, we will be back again, but thank you for listening in this time. And if you like what you're hearing, please subscribe, leave a review and uh, get us back up to the top of the list because more people need to hear about this good work that my guests are talking about. Uh, I learn every single time I have a guest on and I'm hoping that you do as well. So thank you again, Linda, and thank you to the listeners. And that concludes this episode of The Alchemy of Business with your host, Steve Rogers. If you found value in today's broadcast, please consider liking, subscribing, sharing with friends, and leaving a review. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next Thursday for another episode. Be blessed, and see you soon.